0: I can't describe it. What I'm feeling. What I'm thinking. This means something. This
1: is important. This
2: is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 35 for the week of June 13th, 2011. I'm David T. Cole, and I'm here with Reese's Pieces Enthusiast, Joe Reed, Yum. Runaway Bitch, yik yik! and Lens Flare Apologist, Mark Graham. My eyes!
3: <laughs> <laughs> um. First off, before we get into the discussion, let's... Properly welcome first time guest Mark Graham. Welcome, thank you. Mark. Thank well you, thank known you. to Twitter users as Uncle Grambo. This is true. Uh, formerly of Defamer and Vulture, currently of VH1.com.
4: Uh, that's absolutely true. Welcome. Okay, thank you very much. I'm very nervous, but I'm very excited.
3: (laughs) Don't be nervous. Be very, very gentle. Um, So we all separately and some separate, some together, saw Super 8 this weekend, the the weekend's biggest release. What did we think? Joe,
5: we didn't see it with you. What did you think? Yeah, I'm actually just fresh off of the Super 8 truck right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought as a movie about sort of kids having an adventure, I thought it was really, really good. I Mm -hmm. was more invested in kind of the human story of it than I have been for most... Kind of supernatural summer action movies. Mm -hmm. Uh the supernatural summer action movie part of it seemed pretty standard. (laughs) Yeah. Um not terrible, but Mm -hmm. just nothing I would like rave about. Um it sort of seemed kind of Spielbergy by numbers, where they're not gonna show you the monster forever, and then you see it, and then the last bit seemed a little bit like it. I don't know if you remember (laughs) it, where like they go into the cave and it's the spidery thing and they have to save the girl and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um but I thought when they had the big sort of emotional payoff at the end, I thought it was a good payoff. I thought it really sort of tied things up together and i don't know good kids' adventure,
3: yeah for those who don't know the the story is there's a bunch of nerdy kids in Ohio in nineteen seventy nine um, as the movie's starting it's just the 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 end of school and um other than the I guess the the prelude to the beginning of the movie where the main kid's mom dies right um and they're Try to make a movie to be submitted into the Super 8 competition. And then while they're in the process of filming, as everyone sees in the trailer, a, a train derails and they get it on film and then yeah. crazy shit starts happening in town. Yeah. And so the main kid, Joe, um, is now being raised by his solo dad, who's the deputy sheriff in town, played by Kyle Chandler. Woohoo! Who's great. Yeah. He was kind of my favorite thing about the movie. Other than I, I loved that the kids seemed like real kids and not like yes. horrible glib yes. monster. Yes. I was gonna nerdy, yes. yes. terrible yeah. movie kids. Well, they, seemed like they kids. weren't. They
5: didn't make like do any like references to no. other filmmakers no. and God, stuff like no. that. I loved oh. it. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: There
2: was no Diablo Codyisms. And right. No, they also, were like, they weren't know it all and precocious. Yes. They right. were sort of like grounded and and flawed. And yeah, they were believably
3: awkward and yeah, yeah. Didn't you know?
2: It's an interesting you know, you're saying that Kyle Chandler is your, playing the father was Mm -hmm. one of your favorite parts of the film. I thought one thing this film, one of the, not not necessarily misstep, but one of the things that didn't quite, as Super 8 is sort of like, you know, uh, a Spielbergian, you know, it it is a mimic by nature, right? This is what he was going out to do. And it's interesting that in this film, the parents played such a big role in the story, whereas I think for this type of, movie where it's about kids and having the adventure and the shit that happens to them. Yeah. Really traditionally the parents are out of the picture Largely or they're absent. the bumbling fools. Yeah. And um it was interesting that the parents played such a big role cuz I thought that was like the weakest part of the film was the relationships between the kids and the parents they didn't really oh, see really? really what it added to the much to what was going on hmm. beyond just being I mean I understand why it was in the script. Mm-hmm. I understand the motivations, but it as a film that I think probably is more for teens than adults yeah. you know what I mean like I certainly would have enjoyed the film I probably would have enjoyed it more as a 12 year old or a 13 year old you know like I would have been you know in the bag for it I thought that was an interesting choice that he made
4: to- I sort of like though the way that the the Kaznik parents which were the parents of Charles who was the director of the film mm-hmm. yeah they really sort of gave grounding to Joe and yeah. you could tell yes. that he sort of missed the fact that uh, his home life wasn't quite the same as theirs, and so he would, yeah. you know, go over there for dinners to hang out with the mom and the parents, and that sort of gave him some grounding in a time of his life where he was really clearly troubled and getting over a really horrific right. thing that happened to him. Yeah,
3: yeah, that was another thing I liked that I thought they handled realistically is the what it's like to go to a house where there's a million billion kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that there's, you know, every it's sort of rough and tumble, but the parents clearly are yeah. like e. present e. did. and yes. loving, and yeah, you know, yeah, e. did did that really well too. Yes, ET yeah. e. did yeah. Yeah, That's a good point.
5: Yeah. That actress Jessica oh. Tuck is somebody I From always Judge like when. I Oh, is she on Judging Amy? She I know was. Where she's from True Blood and One Life to Live, and yeah.
2: she's been on a bunch of she's, things. She was
4: great.
5: Yeah, she's fine. So,
4: you know, even though she sort of reminded me a little bit of Amy Poehler's character on Saturday Night Live, where she's got the one leg and she hops around, <laughs> she sort of reminded me of her a little bit. She had hot, she had the blonde flip of her hair. Yeah. It was a little, a little trashy uh-huh. tawdry, Amber? but I, I liked it. Amber, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: I was was wondering about the the design of the film. You know, it's set in 1979, which, you know, basically, you know, you can say it's set at the dawn of the 80s, but it still had a very 70s feel to it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Just from, like, a strictly a production designer and costume designer doing their work, I wonder how much the movie would have looked different if they set it just in 1980. Like, they moved it up four months, if that just changes the way people think of how to, you know...
5: I have a feeling in, like whatever suburban Dayton or wherever mm, they were yeah. like the, 1980 would still well into the 70s absolutely for, no, I, I feel I'm, like the <laughs> 80s don't come to no, just, certain I'm areas just for, no, absolutely. for a while and I think this,
2: for the most part, their period stuff was was pretty good. They didn't yeah. like overdo it and sort of like make right. it like, you know, like everybody was in Bell bottoms. Wow. I have to say, but
5: though, there was somebody at the Ziegfeld in the audience about whatever, 15 rows back behind us, who every time there was any kind of like period reference, like, mm-hmm. hey, it's a Walkman, who'd be like,
0: Brah, ha, ha, yeah.
5: Like, really <laughs> wanted everybody to know
0: yeah, that this is the that wedding was singer. Like, really we can see that
4: so that the tone it down. incredibly dumb cousin of the poignant <laughs> grunter. Yes. Yes. For real. I, I did notice, though, in doing some, uh, ri- research on wikipedia for this film that <laughs> by sending it whoa, <laughs> uh by sending it in 1979 there were a couple of logic errors and you think they would have caught this like for example uh they mentioned the rubik's cube as something, i was thinking about that and oh, according wait. to my research the rubik's cube was not widely available until february of 1980 i'm so oh, order, that up. was it, it, was it really it came, your research <laughs> uh, it was, uh, well, it was called the Magic Cube back then until the patent came through in the really? in the Toy Fair in 1980. Well, Correct. Well, they clearly
5: called it was it Budapest Cube. Uh, I well, on Cube, the, I certainly Cube. hope somebody was fired for that. Part. If you're ever in the
2: mood to see the world's largest Rubik's Cube, and you're thinking to yourself, and maybe a isn't? trip to Knoxville, Tennessee, is the place to see the world's largest <laughs> Rubik's Cube as seen in the World Fair at Knoxville. I'm going to save yourself the trouble. Don't go. It's really sad. It's it's in this corner. Like, it was in the stairwell at a Holiday yeah. Inn behind, like, a plastic plant. Oh. It was a sad, sad end oh. for the world's largest room. <laughs>
3: yeah, Dave didn't even notice it. He's like, where is it? I'm like, uh, right in front of you. It's like <laughs> eight feet by eight feet or yeah. something. It's huge. And it was very unremarkable.
2: I remember going to the flea market in, uh, in St. Catharines, Ontario on Sundays. Um, this is when stores still had to be closed on Sundays. Uh-huh. And so the flea market was there. And... The biggest thing that all the kids were like basically like paying way too much for and like, yeah, and it was the Rubik's Cube necklace. Do you remember those? Yep. No way. Sure wow. I, do. I had a keychain. But that would be like 8081. So yeah. yeah, that
5: makes sense. Were there corresponding
4: Rubik's Cube earrings for
5: girls? Yep. <laughs> like, yeah, there were. Yep. Yep. I'm sure, those are sure. really cool. Yep.
4: Sorry. I didn't well, and also, on the attention to detail part, uh, the Walkman was another thing that was not introduced until June of 1980, unless uh, the pimply faced teenager who worked at the gas station. <laughs> had some great uh, had connection to uh, the Emperor of Japan, <laughs> yeah. uh, so that one fell a little I don't know, very nitpicky, obviously, but
5: no, but I, I, the Rubik's Cube thing certainly uh, perked my attention.
2: Well, you know, I had this stupid thought when uh, the other day thinking about the period you know authenticity of this film, which was like, man, you know, close encounters did it so much better. Oh wait, Close Encounters took place basically <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so good. That's why that Baskin-Robbins truck did they used looked like a Baskin-Robbins truck in the 70s. You stupid moron. <laughs> Sh-
3: should we talk about the lens flare a little bit, Dave? I feel like we have oh, to. Oh, the lens flare, uh.
2: of course. Yeah, I was, you know, this is a kind of a silly thing to... To, to argue about, but I was genuinely surprised at the amount of fucking fake lens flare in the film <laughs> after all the shit J.J. Abrams took in Star Trek.
5: I have to say, after, uh, I know you guys were on Twitter on Friday after you guys saw the movie and I saw a lot of people were, Yeah, and I was sort of reading it More being hanging like... hanging
2: fruit, to be fair.
5: Well, but also, I'm reading it and I'm just like, this seems like a rather obscure detail for everybody to be harping and on. How bad movie. could it be? And then I saw the movie and I was really just like... <laughs> This is excessive. <laughs> this is—it's not just like devil may care and whatever, no. and we capture what the camera captures. I, this I was like flares yeah. in your face, all up in your
4: business. Well, all and, the time. And, and and to the point yeah. where in, in the train sequence, you know, the big set piece of the film, uh, there were all those blue lens flares. Yes. It looked like they didn't know yeah. how to actually make a movie. It did. I was it like, felt incompetent. Are, there, are there, it looked like a stupid person? Are, are close encounters coming through? The <laughs> <movie>? <laughs> well, the, the,
2: the, here's here's my serious point about the lens flare, which yes. is. I would accept lens flare in the context of when the kids are making the film, there is lens flare in their film. But the problem I have with lens, this, this sort of thing, and I, I would also put this, uh, I have the same feelings about when mud hits the, like, you know, there's a car scene and the yeah. camera's on the ground and just yeah. suddenly dirt splats hits up the against lens. the lens. Yeah. It it takes me out of the moment. Suddenly mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reminded that there's a camera filming all this, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. And it was a really... I think kind of a poor choice, and Star Trek. I felt the same way, and it was really excessive in there too. But at least it sort of made sense in the in so far that everything was super shiny and bright. And yeah, yeah. okay, even though it was overdone, but it's Well, super I was trying eight, to
5: make that point of like it's space, but you right. are there. It was yes. really like yeah. grabbing you know? yes. it, but it took we me out of know it that as much exists.
2: as <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this and it took me out of the moment here too. Yeah, and it was so overdone, and I don't even understand. The science behind some of these lens flares that right. were happening—it seemed like they were just picking random geometric shapes to yes. shine in the camera. Like it was really playing a, weird. Playing
5: a little bit of a devil's advocate, it seemed like the mo- the biggest <laughs> concentration of lens flares were in the part where the kids were filming it. It wasn't but part not, of their film, yeah, right. right? But I—I right. I feel like you could wank it as like, well, Abrams was trying oh, yeah. to sort of form ma- match function kind gotcha. of thing. Yeah. But even still, it's just too much. Yeah. It felt like an arrogant director being like. Lens flares, I get to do them it's like. like
2: bananas, <laughs> like bananas in a smoothie. Once you put them in, that's all you can taste. Once you put a lens flare in the scene, it's all I can look at. Yeah, because it wasn't just like oh, a little bit of lens. No, flare. it wasn't. It no. was like neon blue. It was like neon at like like light. It was to the, the top Anthony
5: Weiner of lens flares. It was. <laughs> you can't not think about it. You can't not look at it. Well, wow. it
4: sort of eclipsed uh, it's John. Topical, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's Eclipse uh, John Woo's Flying Doves yeah. as, uh, as the worst stylistic signature of any film that I've seen yeah. in a really long You're time. Right. So Abrams is, uh, cut it out next time, JJ. All
3: right, so you had some, Mark, I saw on Twitter, as reported by your fiancé, that you had some thoughts on The Creature.
4: Uh, I thought the monster had a dumb face. He did. Yeah. He did a, it looked, <laughs> like
3: it, like it, it looked like a transformer. And the transformers. Dumb transformer
4: plus dumb face. one of those wooden creatures from Lord of the Rings, the, the tree walkers, whatever. Yeah. It was, was like that. It, it was, was
3: a little bit like a bat face to me. Maybe yeah. that was just like the eyes and nose. It was a bat
2: esque all around. Yeah. yeah. Walked, <laughs> sort of had like Yeah. Like its legs and arms are sort of like, you know, wingless mm-hmm. bats yes. walking around. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Unfortunately, the look of the specific look of the creature is getting muddled in my mind now with the one in Skyline because
5: yes. we just saw that yesterday. <laughs> yes, I was thinking of the same thing because there was a point where like when it makes noises it has that weird like mm-hmm. whatever undulating yeah. tongue thing and I was just like it kind of looks like the vagina monsters from Skyline. <laughs> People see Skyline. Mm. Yeah, we mm-hmm. had to see it.
3: See it with no, a group We of didn't have
5: friends. to. We, we did. No, we didn't. <laughs> we can't unsee we it. We chose to. No, we saw it, though. Don't so see everyone it, everybody. To clarify for the
2: uh, <laughs> reputation of our podcast, when you say go see it, See it with friends to make fun of it.
3: Oh <laughs> yes, Ga- gather a large. The, b- yes. the bigger the group, the better. Don't watch it on your own. You got that's a mystery science
4: three thousand that. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I know it was a monster, but the monster's motivations were a little uh, a little strange to me. Like, for example, yeah. he would eat some people. Yes. Um, yeah, that wasn't clear. Um, and then me he either. would also capture some people and bring them back to his right lair. underground lair and mm-hmm. string them up for some reason. But it was just really weird when the monster decided to eat people, especially because the monster had some sort of intelligence and a telepathic sensibility like he could he could sense good, which is why he didn't eat, you know, all the protagonists of the film. Uh, but it was just weird, like the kid, the Walkman guy, on the gas station. Why did he have to get eaten? Yeah, I can see why the policeman did because he was shooting at him, or but well, then he didn't. A threat. Oh yes, yes, he Proposed a that, threat right? at yeah. least. Yeah, it's in,
5: kind in, of like when you're going to Target and it's like
3: <laughs> at Target. Yeah, sometimes sometimes. Is. Wait, guys, he's going somewhere. <laughs> suddenly
2: very interested. Sometimes
5: I'm going to the snack bar because I want some chicken fingers because I'm hungry, but also we talking about Snickerdoodles. I could get like a lamp or like something decorative for my place. So it's really <laughs> that town in Ohio had a little bit of something for. For everything that he needed mm-hmm. and sometimes you're hungry and sometimes you just want track lighting and <laughs>
2: in, the, in the film he only makes a connection with people understands their motivations when he touches them with 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 whatever his special hand yes and uh so I wonder as he's like you know he's got some people that basically everybody in that cave was food yes like they were basically like hanging salamis in a deli
3: it was like his fridge yeah
2: but do you think he's like <laughs> As he eats him, he's like, oh shit, I like this one. I'm um, 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 um. halfway down to things. Oh, I ate the wrong one. That, was,
3: that was a nice guy. <laughs> but Fire he's someone. a good guy. We don't kill good guys.
2: But you know, in the movie, you know, um the the Cloverfield esque creature has been captured by the government and it's all been basically tortured for the past forty years or or no, I guess twenty years in the film. Yeah. Um so you know, it's it's sort of like this movie is kind of like the ET story except ET isn't like this overpaid government botanist that got left behind you know he's not like right. you know right. he's like he's this is like the the monster is as flawed as sort of everybody else in the yeah. film like he's sort of like uh, like the government work, like you know, what I mean, he's no better or no worse than them. Mm. So yeah, no, you know, you got to eat. <laughs>
5: sure. I also loved when they came across the uh, the guy in the truck who derailed the train. Yeah, and they and they're sort of approaching him and they recognize him. And in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, this is like old man Harrison, blah blah blah. And they actually and they did do. call him old man, whatever,
2: whatever. <laughs> like, wow. So um, so the. Just speaking about, you know, like how this is sort of a lot like E. T. The DNA of this film we're 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 kinda of like trying to break down. Yeah. It sort of has a lot of elements of E. T. obviously. Obviously. Yeah. And
3: I I saw Kids a little on bikes bit of
2: being probably
3: <laughs> every yeah. time
2: there's a kid on bike, I'm like, oh.
3: Right. And there's a bit of district 90-ness, too, with yes. you know, the one creature that's yeah. just trying to get home.
2: And close encounters.
3: Yes. And And I I said Iron Giant yeah, was bit. one that I, I that reminded me of that. Added a little Goonies bit. into that. Yep.
5: Oh, Goonies is a good call. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, because you know the kids. Not the a supernatural group, doing stuff, but yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um it definitely kinda had that kind of thing. The swearing kids. Uh my favorite Carrie the firecracker yes, the, firecracker yes. the braces.
3: <laughs> and yeah, the handheld football pyromaniac game. guy he, was, he reminded me of uh, that's what I imagined little Dave was like in 1970
5: uh, <laughs> I have to say the kid who always thought he was having a heart attack seemed like he was after your heart because
3: <laughs> he, he, he stayed out of the action yes he did the, the, Preston right Preston was smart he
5: was, he was not
2: about he
3: to stayed go into in any the shelter yes he wasn't getting into any shit yeah. Car-
2: Carrie was my favorite part of the movie actually, yes the kid he was great God. I did have that yeah, I mean everybody had that, that metal football electronic game. football, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that was, really was a and cherished possession. Would Absolutely. you have
3: been playing with it while you were trying to plot your next move? To I would.
2: It would never leave my house. <laughs> I wasn't one of those kids that was allowed to bring right expensive things out of the house to school, for, even for yeah. tell or for trading. And like so many kids when I was growing up, they would trade Atari cartridges. You know, you do a swap for a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was never allowed to no, do that. No, I don't that. get that at all. Um, so, no. But I would go home with
5: well. it. I also really liked... The, they showed the full movie that they made. Yeah. I yeah. thought that, that was, was great. great. That's a great that, touch. Was really that was really cute. A the, case, I a lot. Right? That was the case, right? The case. Album? Yes.
4: Yeah,
3: that was great.
2: Yeah, yeah, I thought this was a really good... Summer popcorn film. Yes. Granted, you know, like I think I'm a little above the target age that I think this would be the sweet spot for. Mm-hmm. But I liked it fine. You know, I said yeah. I said on Twitter it's, you know, super eight and pretty good, like seven and a half for me. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like that. It was it was I, I really enjoyed it. And and you know, you know, I read a lot about how this was like a disappointment as a science fiction film, but I think that's unfair. I don't really yeah. think it was ever set up as a science fiction no. film. No. It's just like a, it's a kid's adventure yes. uh, yeah.
4: with an alien, you know. Like that's really, movie
5: nerds really being like, we I, want hard sci-fi. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like,
4: absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, it was I did think it was a little. I liked it a little bit less than you. I sort of feel like um, I thought the ending was a little bit hokey when the spaceship mm-hmm. took off and it like rained tears, you know, to sort of symbolize <laughs> the, you know, he lo- the uh, protagonist lost his locket that yeah. his mom had given to him, and yeah. that was the final piece. I mean, the spaceship take off and. All these tears rain from the sky. I thought that was a little on the hokey side, but in general, I thought the kids were were fantastic. You know, yeah. they were cast exceptionally well. <laughs> you know, Carrie was uh, like the 2011 version of Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, totally. He's very bad <laughs> news Yes. Bad yeah. And, oh. yeah, and yeah, and Preston sort of looked like Bill Haverchuck plus Corey yeah. Feldman and Stand mm-hmm. by Me. Yeah. I mean, all the kids looked great, and they were all really authentic. How they all believed together, and yeah, yeah. And we did. We haven't mentioned Elle Fanning yet. Yeah. The dynamic? Were you? I'm. I'm seeing a look over here. <laughs> Don't <get laughs> no. you can't no, see I'm it at home, but I can see it.
3: I'm not a fan. That's all I'll say.
5: I thought she had for her character was the most charactery, where she wasn't just sort of acting like an every girl. She sort of had. Uh, a grumpiness to her at the beginning mm-hmm. and she sort of had uh, the weird home life and stuff like that. And I thought she carried that off really well.
4: Well and she really brought it too in the in the train sequence, in the big set piece where as they were rehearsing, you know, the take for for the case, yes. her acting in that scene was, was phenomenal and yes. like special yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously she's gonna be a yeah. talent. Uh, well yes. when you have like.
5: a scene where the other characters are supposed to react like her acting is blowing them away. Mm-hmm. You really can't let down that scene because it makes everything else just look stupid. It's the Studio yeah. 60 thing. Yeah. We're like, true. If everybody right. else is talking about how genius this is, it yeah. can't not be genius. And she pulled that off really well.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, we mentioned this up top too, but I, I liked the... I, I, I find it funny that it didn't work for you, because I thought the, the, the Kyle Chandler as the dad who does just fundamentally mm-hmm. does not get his kid, you know, they have that scene mm-hmm. in the diner where he's like, I want to send you to baseball camp, and the kid's like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, made me, sort of was, a, was an entree to something that we've been talking about for a while. The, the actors that you can't, they, whatever they do, you have goodwill for them, and we call them the unhatables. I came up with a few criteria, as we've been doing lately, yes. um, for what makes an unhateable. And Joe, when we were discussing this on Friday, you made the important distinction of: we're not saying there's no one on Earth right. that doesn't That's hate an the impossible people that we're standard. talking about. That's an impossible standard. Yeah. But we're saying that if you really find reasons to hate, hate any these, of these people, people,
5: it makes you look. It bad. might be on you. It makes you look bad. It
3: makes you look weird. Yes, it does. Um, so here. Are <clears throat> I'll run down the criteria and right. then we can talk about the people that we think these are the better. things
2: that go into their Teflon coating
3: yes exactly <laughs> okay. that's a great the way secret to put formula. it Dave. Yes. so um, number one the unhatables they come to prominence with an unimpeachable work product that inspires years of fan goodwill and for yes. example I would point to like a Sandy Bullock who people still love from Speed. Yes. She has made tons of shit in the she in sure the interim has. since then, Absolutely. but you know, add that to being wronged by Jesse James. People still have a lot of goodwill for Sandra Bullock. Yeah, they do. Um, and my others, I would say, obviously, Kyle Chandler, because we mentioned him. You know, he did other stuff before Friday Night Lights, but I think it's really him yeah. playing Coach Taylor that has made America fall in love with him, and justly so. Plus, yes. obviously, and I've mentioned her many times, Connie Britton. Of course. As his TV wife. <laughs> yeah. Who's amazing on the show, amazing in that NPR episode where she was, like, reading the correspondence of Military Wives and made me cry. Like, oh, wow. it's awesome. Really, the kind of person where you know you come up doing something that's so amazing, it makes you want to see everything else that they do,
5: yes. Um, yeah, and beyond that, the uh maintain the likability even after they have horrible career misfires, which I sort of uh pl- plays into your ability to kind of forgive them and you look mm-hmm. at the missteps not as like. Well, now that they now they suck, right? But like, well, I'm going to support them yes. <laughs> through this.
3: No and one, I'm gonna no wait one for them is 100 to... percent perfect. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, but they they're so great that they can they can survive that. Yeah. Um, I would also say they de- people uh, they demonstrably have a sense of humor about themselves. Yes, you have to. Um, yeah. Where you you know you see them on a talk show and they're they're mocking their yeah. own. They you know, can't foibles. just be
5: they can't just be loved for their screen product. They have to be right. like personalities that you've done.
3: Oh, totally. Yeah, and, and not only that, but I would say they have a real sense of humor about yeah. themselves, not just, oh, this stupid thing happened to me, so I'm going to do a funny or die video yeah, in response right. to it. Yeah, that's become really You can really tell easy the that that's really, years. that's a cynical <laughs> reaction. Yeah. You know, that's there's, the a, new, there's a difference.
2: I'm going to put you on the Maxim cover,
5: <laughs> right? That's <laughs> yeah. a PR
2: move. Kind of. PR move. I'm right. thinking yeah, of like
3: Chris Klein and The funny after or his... die
5: video is out before the scandal yeah. is even fully broken.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're up for anything. This is something that you usually see when they, for example, host. Saturday Night Live that they show a lack of vanity John Hamm being born
2: all gooey mm -hmm. like that guy's up (laughs) for anything and he's on like (sighs) tons of like you know podcasts that nobody's really heard of in the mainstream and stuff like that showed
3: up playing a character in drag (laughs) in the finale of last season of (laughs) Children's Hospital and their whole Tootsie homage right um, they've built a, this is obviously, and I should should have said up top, none of these apply to absolutely everybody, but, you know, someone who's unhateable will have a few of these. Yeah. So I would say have built up a lifelong track record of awesomeness.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, there's a comedian Brendan Walsh who has a joke where he says in his act, that he's kind of bummed out because he just heard gene hackman died and then the reaction of the crowd is oh and he's like no nah, gene hackman's fine but you all just found out you love gene Hackman." <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great joke yes. and it's, somewhere where, like, it's like you it, it's a short list of people where that would work yes where you know the audience would have that reaction yes to that star and finally and i would say this is the least important but not unimportant is people that use their celebrity for good mm-hmm. someone like a george clooney who's going to, you know, take his celebrity and use it in the purpose of raising awareness of Darfur, or Sure, yes. yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So let's discuss.
5: Uh, yeah, the first one, it's funny you mentioned Gene Hackman because he's my very first choice, uh, mm-hmm. where he's had a long long decades long stellar career yeah. uh, I always say that he's the most versatile actor in Hollywood because mm-hmm. immediately within like five seconds of seeing him in a role he is either the epitome of goodness or the epitome of villainy yep. and it's he's believable in either one you don't really have to like waste any time transitioning it's true he's just that mm-hmm. um the diverse, I feel like the diverse filmography where he can make like your Mississippi burnings sure. and your body and Clyde, but he can also be in the birdcage looking kind of silly. And Heartbreakers. <laughs> and Heartbreakers. Or like, and Royal Tenenbaums is like
3: the, of course, the epitome obviously. of
5: that. He's just yep. the greatest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there have been some, but I can't off the top of my head thinking of a bad Gene Hackman performance where it's just like.
3: Oh, certainly many bad movies, but bad not, movies. not a bad right. performance. But, but yeah, you
5: can't right. ever think yep. of like, God, Gene Hackman really embarrassed himself in that.
2: Can I put in a word for Superman?
5: Really? You think to Superman? No. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. The epitome of villainy. Yeah. Like said.
1: Yeah. But that he can in, within
5: a couple of years do Hoosiers and he's just the greatest good guy basketball coach ever. Yep. Um he uh he doesn't make his politics terribly well-known, mm-hmm. but he was known. I read this on uh, IMDb. Uh, he was on Nixon's enemies list. Excellent. Which is such a great... That is like, ass. Isn't that, that, makes that makes him Just, just badge of honor. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I feel like that's using your celebrity for good, and Absolutely. I don't even know how it... Whatever how it he
3: happens. did, it was good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was worth it.
5: Um, he hasn't made a movie since Welcome to Mooseport in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: He's made a lot of Lowe's commercials, though.
5: I understand people are trying to... <laughs>
3: Uh, and Oppenheimer funds. Yes. I understand
5: people want to support uh, Ray Romano in this men of a certain age career resurgence he has, but no. I don't know how you can do that with a clean conscience knowing that his welcome to mooseport killed Gene Hackman's career.
3: You know, I have to think that Gene Hackman is not working by choice. Oh,
5: it's by choice, but I'm I'm but I hear I'm you. doing a little bit I hear
3: you. Um, Sir. Sure.
5: Uh, yeah, so I feel like that's a solid solid number 1 for me.
3: Okay.
2: I have a question about the scope of this because I'm curious
5: like <laughs> no because
2: like we're talking about people that are, you know, for the most part, unhateable. They are the unhateable. Sure. But how broad of an appeal do they have be- before they ascend to the unhatables? Because I was thinking oh, I somebody see. that that has a lot of this criteria, that, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like what like a micro fame, like in a in a small vertical would be somebody to say like Nathan Fillion. Right. Interesting. That mm-hmm. he's.
5: Yes. Really
2: yes. good. He like he, he's up for anything. Yes. Yeah. He's really well liked. Sure. You know, he seems
3: very humble. Yeah, exactly.
2: But not but a lot
5: of people know who he is. But
2: exactly. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people really love him from Firefly. Mm-hmm. I, I should say, some people really love him a lot from Firefly. Yes. A you know totally I
3: mean? other set of people <laughs> love they're, him on Castle.
2: Right. Yes. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, the people that love him are very loud, but they're not that many in number because, you know, he's been in culty stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Is he, can he be an unhateable? At what point, you know, can we say, you are now in the pantheon because... I'm just curious, because I think he meets all the criteria, but yeah. he famous enough.
5: Well, I think you can be an unhateable, but there are still like, well, you're unhateable within a narrow... Is he like, like he's frosh?
4: Yeah, okay. kind of. Yeah, he's a rookie right. class member. Yeah, yes. He's unhatable's first class. And yes. and
3: and also I would say it's not. He's not like it's the kind of person where when you become aware of him, you're, there's anything about him that would turn you off.
1: Right. He's not
3: like, for example, a Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. Or a Katherine Heigl, where right. you're like oh, I I didn't know you ten minutes ago. And now I hate your guys. <laughs> okay. Sort of in
4: that same realm of, of people who are a little bit smaller, like don't have the career longevity so far, like a Gene Hackman. But I feel like Alison Hannigan is sort of mm. primed to be a real unhatable for all of her life. I mean, obviously, her work on Buffy was incredibly stellar and How I Met Your Mother. You know, she survived that huge, horrible career, misfire, which was Date Movie, where yes. she strapped herself nobody into a holds fat that suit. Her, yeah. But nobody holds that against That's her. True. and And even the tabloids, when... She appears in Us Weekly and mm-hmm. things like that. She's always just hanging out with her kid yeah. at the playground and yeah. being nice and Walking sweet down the and never, with a stroller. Yeah, never, mm-hmm. never yeah, never never hateable and yeah, she's she's fantastic on How I Met Your Mother and incredibly likable and I can't ever see a point in, lo- in time where I would say ooh, I don't want to see her in something yeah right I think that's, that's a fair. good
3: call another Allison Allison Brie I feel like is, yeah. is another she's... one who's who's a fast rising universally beloved can do comedy and drama. And, yeah. is, and is adorable.
5: Yeah, as one-two punches go, Mad Men and Community isn't bad. It's like she sort of. In every tastemaker's face, and everybody loves
4: her.
3: And I'll just say it a third Allison, since we're talking Allison, <laughs> Allison Janney. Allison Janney is yeah. someone who people a great definitely goal. West Wing. I think divided audiences, but I, I but think not about not, her. Not about, not her. about her. And yeah. she was one of the best things about that show consistently. Yeah, that's
5: she's true. in crap everybody shows like Mister Sunshine, <laughs> and people are still yep. like,
3: "Well, but it's Allison
1: Janney."
5: But, she, and I like it, her. but
3: then she'll you know do a voice in Finding Nemo, and, yes! and she's you know the crazy, the crazy. We I just saw Away We Go Again this week. Yeah, and she was the crazy ex worker of yes. Maya Rudolph being obnoxious yeah. in Arizona right
4: well we yeah and her. even in Mr. Sunshine where she's sort of like a villainous evil boss kind of a type who mm-hmm. really sort of you know reigns on Matthew Perry's now cancelled parade yes <laughs> but even uh, uh, even then you know she's clearly fantastic and people love her yeah uh, Tom Selleck
5: that's a good one
2: what do you think Ooh.
3: Well, he's he's slightly polarizing because he's an NRA guy. Yes.
2: Oh. So I didn't even think of Tom Selleck. He's, he's
3: like celebrity Republican. So because is... <laughs>
2: I am I'm, I'm oblivious to Tom Selleck post Magnum PI, <laughs> <laughs> I probably put him up there. But then, yeah, that, that that that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Who else?
3: Um. Well, in if we're running down the list, I would say having a sense of humor about themselves. Can we talk about Dolly Parton a little bit?
5: <gasps> Ooh. That's a fan. I would have never I, thought of I, that. But that's never so right. That.
3: Because I think, um, even if you don't care for her music, right. even if you don't go see a switching channels with Burt Reynolds, <laughs> when you see Dolly Parton on a talk show, she's it makes delightful. you happy. Cause yes. she's 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 very talented and she's, she's self-effacing and she's and fun. And, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and she'll talk about how she dresses like a floozy and that's her thing. <laughs> like yes. she knows what she is and yeah. she's. Well, happy with
5: it. She manages to be that sort of like down home Tennessee thing. Yes. With it seeming both exaggerated but not inauthentic, mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, you're like you've been doing this your entire life. Like yes. this is you. This is your sort of like and Dollywood doesn't seem egotistical. It's it true. just sort of seems like <laughs> it fun.
3: It somehow. It's
5: sort of like, well, she's got those big <laughs> wigs, so everything about her is big and Oops. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, I feel
4: like another first ballot sort of uh, Hall of Famer in this one is nice. is Bill Murray. He's uh, nice. yeah. yes. he's, he's clearly on our got, got list. Well, and, and sort of the best <laughs> part about him as being unhateable is Chevy Chase. Hates him. He clearly has assholeish tendencies to him a little yeah. bit, but yeah. despite that, you know, um, just the fact about the sort of like memes he's in, you know, yes. he'll run up to people in Central Park and tap him on the shoulder and yeah. say, "You'll never, your friends will never <laughs> believe that you saw me doing this," uh, yeah. things like that. And obviously, he's you know a career. He's just a legend. And so he's, does he's, yeah, pi- yeah he's,
2: absolutely. Does and you know goes behind the bar and serves drinks
3: uh, all night. Yes,
5: I talked about this a little bit uh, several podcasts ago when we did the uh, Will and Grace canon entry. But yep. Matt Damon, a lot of what I love about Matt Damon, I talked about on that show. Mm-hmm. Where I know not everybody finds his career trajectory as fascinating as I do, but it's it's all in there where he overcame those historic flops with Bagger Vance and all the pretty oh, yeah. horses, and yep. then he really made. Uh, Movies that not only are beloved, like Ocean's Eleven and the Bourne movies, but make him look really cool yep. in a way that doesn't seem like he's trying to look cool. Yes, um, Sense of humor about himself. He did that Sarah Silverman yeah, Met Damon video. Sure he did. He did the Will and Grace episode. Mm-hmm. He did that Euro trip cameo. Like, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then Politics for Good, like... He narrated Inside Job. That was pretty awesome. Like, he has a
3: charity about yeah. water, I think. And too. he
5: manages to talk politics in a way. He's that, got that Clooney tendency where he can talk about politics in a way that doesn't seem like he's condescending to you too much. Mm-hmm. Which, like And when that. he goes
3: on Letterman, he's he does his Matthew McConaughey impression. Yes, and that's, that's right. Very likable, too. On,
2: on the yes. other side, good Will hunting. I think yeah. a lot of people still...
5: Yes. But I think true. because that came before he did that and then his Lesson career kind learned. of bottomed out and yes. then he's crawled back up. Like, I still I, like. The I would agree. It I'm just saying bit, that, perhaps.
3: You know, Tom Hanks had a few skeletons in mm-hmm. his yeah. closet too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The man with one red shoe, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> <laughs> Bachelor party, although everyone liked it. Not... Donald Glover. Yeah. From
2: he was premier. on my list too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Um granted, he hasn't been in much yet. Right. But he seems to have a really good sense of himself in he this does. place in the universe, and, and he's
3: very—he seems choosy. Yes.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still love. I know it was before anybody uh, knew him from Community, but that one episode of Thirty Rock where Tracy <laughs> love, goes back to his old to school because okay. I love your line. Tra- reading of it. Tracy's going back to uh, his old uh, high school. And he's got What everybody's got to like psych him up to go back because he's very nervous about going back and giving a speech uh, to the graduating class. And the, basically, the crux of the speech is like, be who you are and you'll be successful. And he just goes, I'm talking to you, clearly gay kid. And they go to the audience <laughs> and it's Donald Glover. And he goes, Who told? <laughs> it's my favorite thing in that whole episode. It's so great.
3: <laughs> so yes. we're
2: running long, but anybody want to just throw some names out there that haven't
4: been put out yet?
3: Justin Timberlake. Justin okay.
5: Timberlake, Amy Poehler, mm-hmm. Meryl Streep.
4: I feel like T- Timberlake was a little hateable there for a while. When he there were a couple seasons ago on Saturday Night Live where he would pop up every third episode and That's sort of true. an annoying cameo. And this season he sort of stepped it back. And I think so. I think
3: Bad Teacher himself. will be a real test for him.
4: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But right. he won himself a lot of
2: props. So uh, what are your unhatables? Let us know in the comments. I'm sure we missed some. But uh, again, this is not a trying to find the one person everybody <laughs> in the world likes. <laughs> right, but we're right. talking about you know these are the. You know, the elements that go into their Teflon coating, and why the majority of people cannot hate, cannot help, but like yeah. these people. the unhatables. The un-hatables.
6: Hi, I'm Kim, and this is the most awesome thing I saw on TV last week. So the most awesome thing I saw on TV last week was an episode of Little House called Bunny. And previously on Little House, Laura had sold her horse Bunny to Mr. Olson so that she could afford to buy Ma a stove for Christmas. It was all very gifted to the Magi. So anyway, now Nellie Olson, the hated Nellie Olson, has Bunny the horse, and she's riding around town and lording it over Laura and whipping Bunny with a little horse whip. And so Bunny takes off because she hates Nellie too. And <laughs> Nellie gets clotheslined by a tree limb. Oh no, now she's paralyzed. And Doc Baker comes and he's pricking Nellie's toe with a pin and Nellie can't feel it. And so of course Laura feels horribly guilty. And... Harriet Olson says, Nels, you must shoot that horse. But Laura steals Bunny quietly before anybody can find out. Except Mr. Olson totally knows and was cool with it. But anyway, <laughs> so now <laughs> Laura feels guilty that Nellie's paralyzed, and so she's doing her homework for, her, and Laura is not going after the boy she likes because Nellie likes him too, and this is going to come as a shocker if you know anything about Nellie Olsen. She's not really paralyzed. What? She's faking the whole thing. So Pa makes a wheelchair for Nellie. And Harriet, Mrs. Olson, goes to thank Pa. So Nellie's home alone. And Laura goes <laughs> to keep her company. And she finds out that Nellie's faking it. She sees Nellie dancing around the room with her dolls. And Nellie's says that she's been faking it so that she can get more presents doll houses and stuff like so Laura (laughs) of course is furious about this whole thing so she tells Nellie she's going to take her out for a walk in her wheelchair wheels Nellie up to like the highest point in town and waits until Harriet Mrs. Olson, comes back Through town, and then she says, Look, uh, Mrs. Olson, we're up here. And she looks, and Laura pushes Nellie down the hill in her wheelchair. And Nellie goes bouncing down the hill, and then she goes face first into this pond, or maybe it was a creek, I don't know. And then, you know, stands up. And Harriet, instead of saying, Wow, she was faking it like a normal person, says, Oh my god, it was a miracle. And then, uh, you think, Okay, the episode's over, but then there's this really bizarre coda where Nellie is looking out her bedroom window and she sees laura with the boy that they both like and she has this huge temper tantrum and starts throwing things around the room and going i'll get you laura Ingalls! i'll get you so i didn't watch the next episode to find out how that turned out <laughs> uh, but it was very creepy because Nellie is a psychopath so that was the most awesome thing i saw on tv last week <laughs>
3: Interesting historical note about our friend Kim Reed. She worked with Mark Graham back in the day. Oh, uh, really? this
4: is true. Yeah. Uh, I used to work at, at Borders at their corporate headquarters back in the 90s in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Kim Reed and I worked very closely together. And then I saw her name pop up a couple years later with, you know, working with you guys on Mighty Big TV mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm like, is that possibly the same Kim Reed? And, you know, we didn't have the powers of sleuthing and Facebook that we have <laughs> these days. But then I finally put two and two together and we emailed. And yeah, it's a uh, world's coming around.
3: It's funny. That's, That's awesome. Small world. It is a very small world. He doesn't like you. He's grumpy at me. He doesn't like fun. That's plain to see. Time to ask. Will
6: they hate this?
2: Probably.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Joe, I think you should lead off.
5: Uh, yeah. I uh, When I saw X-Men uh, last week, there was a trailer for a movie. A movie about a man. <laughs> a man who trains <laughs> robots. Um, and my first thought... Wait, what's the movie called?
2: And
3: that movie is called... Um, I'm sorry, that movie is
5: called Real Steel. The human
0: body can only take so much. <laughs> but the steel never stops. This is what it's all about! Let's make some money!
2: Okay, I am ready to hear arguments. <laughs> About real steel, whether I will hate this, and Joe, uh, what side are you taking? I'm taking taking...
5: the Dave will hate this. Tara
2: and Tara
3: (laughs) taking that he won't. But uh, when we get come around to me, I'll explain. Okay, Joe,
2: I'm ready to hear arguments. You may begin.
5: Okay. uh, Permission to uh, give a narrative account of absolutely. What I okay, please. so watching the trailer that I saw, uh, my within the first ten seconds, my thought was, "Oh, Dave should use this as a movie forcing for Tara because this looks like <laughs> something. This looks Boise like something Dave would like. You but are
3: not my true friend. Hey, even I, suggesting, I, that. I will
5: support you with the dog thing. So, <laughs> but true. I can't. You can't expect me to not suggest no, things right, for fine. Dave to force you to see. Fine." Um... And then, about 30 seconds into the trailer that I saw, which is different than the one that we just played mm-hmm. a clip from, mm-hmm. um, a kid shows up. A really annoying movie kid that, like, why is cracks? And
3: the exact takes kind charge. that we were saying in Super 8, we were happy we did not yeah. see. Oh, and I
5: mentioned uh, Hugh Jackman is the lead in this movie. Yep. Um, collecting a paycheck like a champ.
1: <laughs> and
5: uh, But it looks like from this trailer that I saw that he spends most of the movie taking orders from this fucking kid yeah. who is, like, super annoying yeah. and is like, train this robot for me, because blah. And he's supposed to be cute. He's Evangeline Lily's mother, which is another, Your Honor, point in uh, my favor. Uh, Evangeline Lily is in this as oh. the uh, love interest. Um, but the it just seems like... What's that? The court acknowledges you. Okay. <laughs> this
3: is, it's his kid, though, right? Isn't the idea that they're divorced and he's trying to get back into the kid's good graces? See,
5: the impression that I got was that he's trying to get into her pants and he wants to uh, uh, be nice to her kid. Either way. Either way. Yeah. Um, it looks like the, the that trailer makes it look like the kid is the lead and Hugh Jackman is like 1A. like, <laughs>
3: um,
5: Or it's something like whatever, like The Champ with like Ricky Schroeder sure. or something like that. Um, it just looks like too much kid poisoning the well of a really fun Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie.
3: Here's the problem. <laughs> when I looked up the trailer for uh-huh. this movie, when we were discussing it on Friday, yeah. I saw a totally other trailer than yeah. the one that we ended up seeing before Super 8. So I agreed to do this segment with only partial knowledge. I'm not backing down from what You're I said. You're the but public when defender of this case? <laughs> is that what we're saying? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Because when we saw this t- in the other trailer, that I, the first one that I watched, there is no adorable Moppet right. at all. Right. He's not, the kid is not in the, in that trailer. Maybe they the just least. took
5: him out of the movie itself.
3: In I wish penis. that were true, but it's obviously not because no. then we went to see Super 8 and we saw the trailer with the, that was like the kid all over. Yeah. Here's wh- the reason that I thought before I realized of the kid factor yeah. that Dave might not hate this is that <laughs> the storyline exactly follows an episode of Futurama from the first season where Bender goes into the uh, hmm. robot fighting league. Oh,
5: I actually saw that one, I think.
3: Uh, yes. And so Leela ends oh. up training Bender and then she goes up against her old Kung Fu master master Fnog yep. who's who's like this little horrible alien he's training this absolutely enormous robot who even kind of looks like the robots in the trailer and they have this scene where he's like I'll see you in hell I'll be in boy hell much nicer <laughs> the, the whole storyline is that he's sexist and he doesn't think uh-huh. that, that girls, girls have girls don't have the will of the warrior right. so that's why Leela has to get back at him now then turn that, that episode me- into a movie uh-huh. what's not to like oh fuck they put a horrible adorable mop in
2: there. The the court is confused <laughs> on what side of the argument you're I was
3: on. saying I thought it was possible you might not hate it. Yes. Until I'm just I saying
2: I don't think you're it. doing your client justice by.
3: You're right. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Um, Phoned it in. (laughs)
3: Mark,
2: anything to add to this discussion before the court makes it? Well,
4: I'm personally excited for it because I think this will uh, finance Hugh Jackman to host more Tony Awards and more Oscar Awards. (laughs) So if he collects a paycheck, it frees him to do other things. So I'm all in favor on that on that alone. Uh,
2: Court has a couple questions before it makes its uh, ruling. Uh, One, uh, does anybody know if this movie actually started out as one of those, you know, Milton Bradley Hasbro Rock and Talk (laughs) and Robot properties and then the. Pro- the license was yanked because oh, it really seems interesting. like
3: yes, this it does. was
2: written
5: like Battleship.
3: It you know, totally all uh, does. Movies that they're
2: making now. Uh, yes,
5: I can't say it was, but I know the director is the same guy who did the Night at the Museum movies, and uh-huh. he seems like the kind of guy who they would get yep. to do a, bo- a board game. Movie.
3: I never yes. even made that connection because it you're really so seems right. like it's just all Rockham talking robot. Yes, absolutely. Which
2: would be a better title than Real Steel? Steel. Real Steel, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I, you know, no surprise. The court uh, reaction to seeing the trailers was the uh, first trailer uh, <laughs> that I saw, uh, or rather, the first trailer that was out. Yeah. that was all robots and Hugh Jackman and Punchin and Sparks and sure. debris <laughs> and dents. And I was CG excited to see that movie. <laughs> Look totally redic in that kind of perfect way. Yes. Yeah. And then we saw Super Eight, and we saw the trailer about the kid. Yeah. And this is Dave Poison. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that kid in, killed your movie boner.
2: It did. And <laughs> Dave is reminded of a time in his life when he was super excited for the sequel to RoboCop. Oh. Uh, and RoboCop 2 featured a whiz, computer whiz kid Uh, Who just ruined that movie. I mean, the movie had a lot of flaws, including suddenly RoboCop was made out of plastic and not metal. Like, it actually looked like plastic. Uh,
5: (laughs) I thought you were going to say there was a Ms. RoboCop.
2: (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) But uh, yes, I mean, in the bag for the movie that was represented in the Mm -hmm. the first trailer. And the teaser. Cannot sign off on a kid. Looks like he's totally going to screw it up. Yep. I think Dave will. this (laughs) this <laughs> i'm yes! sorry I kn- the court rules for joe
3: <laughs> I, I youtube failed me yeah. because if i'd seen that other trailer first i never would have agreed to this fight okay. but congratulations joe
2: thank you okay it's time for the canon
4: and mark you're bringing us what uh, I am bringing an episode of Twin Peaks. Uh, I did some careful research on this. I noticed that no one had brought up an episode of Twin Peaks in the history so far. So I'll, I'll just sort of jump into, uh, jump into my rationale here. Okay, what episode are we doing? Uh, we are doing uh, episode 102, which is the, or actually episode 103, although it's the show's second episode. Right. Uh, it's called Zen or the Skill to Catch a Killer. And it's been, it's been 21 years since Twin Peaks debuted, so obviously so it's, been, it's been so, so, so old. Very true, but it's, it's, it's sort no, of... No, I'm saying I'm so old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's old, we're all old. You're, you're both right. <laughs> but it's been in the news uh, sort of a lot recently for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, AMC recently debuted The Killing, yep. which is a, a fairly shameless ripoff for anyone who is, you know, anyone steeped in the knowledge and the lore of, of Twin Peaks, uh, and additionally, it seems like there's a whole new generation of kids coming into it thanks to the fact that Twin Peaks is now available on Netflix Instant, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, lowering the barriers to get into it. So it seems like uh, my Twitter feed in particular, I've seen a lot of the lo- the young millennial types uh, mm-hmm. sort of getting into the show for the first time and and being wowed and awed by it. So I figured this was now was a good time as I need to bring it up. Uh, so uh, like I said, we're going to talk about Zen or the skill to catch a killer, which is the third episode of the series. Uh, I think sort of just starting out uh, as you watch Twin Peaks, no real discussion the show uh, would be complete without first commenting on uh, the theme music of the show. Yes. Uh, Angelo Badalamenti, uh, his score for the series is, is sort of a parody of sorts, of sort of classic soap opera uh, music. Yep. Uh, but it also... Is, is a loving parody of sorts. It's, it's very sweeping and orque- orchestral and lush and really sort of brings you like right into the vibe from the very get-go of the show. You sort of know what, what the program is going to be about just based on the theme music alone. And it's uh,
2: such a good footnote to what you're watching because, I mean, basically, you know, he, there's a lot of music in it, but there's like three or four main pieces yeah. that set the tone <clears throat> for the scene you're about to watch. Yeah. And, you know, which
5: is also very soap opera yeah, yeah. like. Yeah, yes. But it's so good. The
4: lovey-dovey music and like the more serious. Like after music. half
2: an episode, you're like, oh, okay, now it's you yes. know it's it's the goofy time, or now it's yes. the whatever. I like uh,
4: you know, some of the the score of the of the show that Angela Badalamenti does is is a little jazzy at times, which yep. uh, yes. which scared me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, knowing knowing the content of this of this podcast. But uh, I still went anyway. But uh, I did think it was worth noting that. The theme song did win a Grammy in 1994, uh, Best Pop Instrumental Performance. But anyway, um, aside from the show, you know, uh, the first couple episodes in the first season of Twin Peaks really riveted a nation, you know, 21 years ago. And uh, I, was, I was in high school at the time, and I remember a lot of people discussing it. The show famously sort of fell off a cliff uh, after the f- uh, wrap of the first season, which was eight episodes long. Uh, but the first three episodes in particular of the show were, were really had a really strong David Lynch stamp. Um, you know, uh, at the time, Lynch was sort of at the height of his powers, you know, Blue Velvet had come out a couple of years earlier, and it really sort of riveted uh, everybody in the way that it took a a dark look at at the underbelly of suburbia. And also sort of right exactly at this time, too, uh, about six weeks or so after Twin Peaks debuted, uh, Wild at Heart debuted at the Cannes Film Festival and won the Palme d'Or that year. So this was like Lynch at his creative peak. And his stamps are all over this particular episode. He both co-wrote it as well as directed it. So it, it sort of stands a notch above a lot of the other shows in the series just for those kinds of things alone. But sort of the setup, if you're not familiar with Twin Peaks, Uh, The show is set in a sleepy upstate uh, town in uh, the state of Washington called Twin Peaks, and it revolves around the killing of Laura Palmer, who on the surface uh, seems like uh, an all-around good girl. She was a prom queen, homecoming queen, uh, blonde, very beautiful, uh, and the town is really shook up by her murder, particularly because it starts to reveal things about about the town itself and and how everyone sort of has... uh, There's a duality in nature in everyone uh, and going from there. So uh, this particular episode starts uh, with an intro with the Horn family, who are the most powerful uh, family in the town of Twin Peaks. They own a huge hotel called the Great Northern. They own the department store in town, which is called Horns. And they're just generally sort of the uh, the corrupt, powerful family. And, and the first scene sort of takes place uh, at dinner as the uh, family is silently having dinner, at which point uh, ben Horn, who is the patriarch of the family, uh, his brother Jerry uh, comes in from Paris, uh, wielding baguettes oh weirdly God. enough <laughs> does he ever with butter and brie in them. <laughs> with butter and brie and, and, and that 's one of the hallmarks of, of Twin Peaks just sort of in general is is lynch 's obsession with food mm-hmm. and not like you know fancy food like foie gras or things like that. Right. he likes. He likes coffee. He likes baguettes with brie. He likes donuts. He
3: likes really, really burnt bacon.
4: Yes, <laughs> which is the way to eat bacon if you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, so this, even as a vegetarian. Yeah. yeah, this episode has has a lot of those hallmarks. Like I said, that all of those different things, all those different food types I just mentioned, are brought up at one different point or another within the, the course of the show. Uh, but then Jerry sort of breezes in from Paris, and uh, Ben calls him aside, and he's got some news to share, which is our our first clip. Mm.
0: Uh-huh. Leland's daughter was murdered And a Norwegian's left <laughs> Did they sign? Tails <laughs> off oh. 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 We had those Vikings by the horns <laughs> What happened? We're not 100% sure They took the translator with them Did you say Leland's <laughs> daughter was murdered? <laughs> uh,
4: so this that clip sort of speaks to um, speaks to the tone kind of of the show. Sorry, uh, was, was the brother of the Warriors guy? Yes. The, the cleaning bottle. Yes. yes. I yes. Like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Come out and play.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: That is uh, that's him, David Patrick Kelly.
3: Also, they dropped a lot of Baby batter guy from Flirting with. Yeah, the guy
4: who <laughs> dropped off the cliff in *Commando*.
3: That's right. Oh, I Guys forgot everywhere. about that one.
4: <laughs> but he's a he's a fantastic character actor and that's one of the sort of the hallmarks of of this series as well is all of the all of the casting in this show is is just aces you know there's there's people who get sort of reset from from the 1960s there's all these sort of doe eyed vixens that are populated everyone really looks a specific sort of yeah. type in the show and and this particular clip just sort of uh gets at why the horn family is so devious mm-hmm. in general and um you know they're their priorities are clearly out of whack. You know, one of their, their best friends, one of their business associates' daughters was murdered and, and they're more sort of concerned with the Norwegians who, for reference to that, is uh, they're trying to buy the hotel chain to, to give more money to the, to the town of Twin Peaks. Um, but from there, um, one of the more disturbing scenes in the show takes place where, uh, fresh off of this Ben and Jerry horn, which, again, that's another <laughs> shout-out to, yes. uh, yep. to David Lynch's love of food, uh, <laughs> they take a trip across the river to Canada.
3: Horrible, where, corrupt Canada. <laughs>
4: horrible, corrupt Canada, uh, where they visit One-Eyed Jacks, which is a casino and a house uh, of, of, I, Ill of ill repute. I was just gonna say, <laughs> of ill repute, or what uh, Teresa from the Real Housewives of New Jersey would call prostitution whores That's right. <laughs> nice. Uh, and in that room, uh, they they meet up with Blackie, who is uh, a madam who is uh, far more devious than she appears. She's dressed all in black like a black widow spider, mm-hmm. um, but sort of uh, she brings out all these fresh girls uh, for Ben and Jerry to partake in and. As is sort of revealed uh, later on, all these girls are being pumped full of heroin, which is one of the, I think, sort of really interesting and daring things about about the show was sort of the way they treated um, hard drugs, not things like, you know, getting drunk off of a couple of wine coolers or Mm -hmm. maybe smoking a a marijuana joint at some point. Uh, But people are doing, you know, prostitutes, young teenage girls who... We're sort of led to believe our underage yeah. uh, are being pumped full of heroin to sleep with, you know, the most prominent business people in town.
3: Well, that and also Ben is recruiting them from working at the perfume counter at his department store.
4: Absolutely. Um, so just sort of the way that, that the show and this episode deals with with things of, of a very adult nature. And, you know, still to this day, twenty one years later, you're sort of like, This is really dark and twisted and it's hard to imagine, you know, this being on on network television mm-hmm. uh, back in yeah. the day. So that's that's definitely I think sort of a, a sort of a hallmark of the show, and I think rather than going through maybe all of the plot points of the show, I'll sort of talk about in, in broader terms about some of the things I really like about this episode in particular and in the show in general. Um, I think you know as we sort of mentioned at the top with with the score of the show. Uh, the way that that Lynch plays off of soap tropes, if you will, is really interesting and 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 really sort of fantastic and and very meta before meta was a term that got to be overused yeah you know there's lots of lots of lingering shots, things like fireplaces and clocks, you know things are sort of hallmark of soap opera television mainly because. Uh, they're sort of there because budgets are tight and they're shooting things. Whereas Lynch uses those sorts of things to create a real mood and a real tension that is, you know, just just very, like I said, very dark and and very stormy. The one the one piece that he uses a lot that I really liked and
2: I, I don't know really why it speaks to me so much is the windswept tree yes. footage yeah. all the time. Yeah. Really, it's and something the, about real- that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there's something about that that really puts this show at a certain place. Yeah. That I enjoy.
4: Well, yeah, it's it, there's all the shots like that are are so atmospheric and yeah. you know so totally what we've come to known as Lynchian touches. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and a- another thing, you know, that's that's sort of interesting about soap operas too is within this episode of Twin Peaks, we get our first introduction to Invitation to Love, which is a soap opera within a soap opera on the show, which which goes and plays out over the rest of the episodes. But it's just sort of a deft little touch in there that that really sort of sets the mood and is really interesting creatively. And again, it's sort of a, a winking nod that, you know, what you're really watching is a soap opera in prime time, which again, is is pretty revolutionary and sort of the way that the characters uh, interact with each other, particularly uh, James Hurley, who is the young grease monkey who uh, was dating Laura Palmer before, uh, before she passed away. And uh, Donna Hayward, who is played by Laura Flynn Boyle, Mm -hmm. who was sort of the, uh, proto-January Jones of her day in terms of her, her limited acting range and uh, the sort of way that she evokes. But there's lots of lingering close-ups on their faces as they go to kiss each other yeah. and in sort of sweet talk and, and sort of the way that you always see in you know classic soap operas. But the way that Lynch presents it and twists it, um, again, it, it, it builds mood and, and atmosphere and, and tension. Well, and
5: there's that scene even later where... Uh... Where Donna and Audrey are at the diner or whatever, and they're talking and they're they're sort of comparing notes about Laura and what they didn't know about each other. And there's just sort of that lo- those long periods where they're just sort of looking at each other and sizing each other up, and it's those extended silences and it's very strange, but it's also like you feel everything around.
4: Oh, them. Oh yeah, that sort absolutely an atmosphere around them. Um, and and speaking of you know uh, Donna and Audrey Horn, one of the other really I think fantastic things about Twin Peaks. Is that uh, the way that the characters are set up? There's there's analogs uh, for everybody. Everyone, it, it, <coughs> each character sort of has a duality of their own, but they're also represented with with almost mirrors of themselves within the show. You know, good girls and bad girls with yeah. the yeah. Uh, with the the Donna and Audrey Horn. Uh, you know, you've got um, people like uh, Bobby Briggs, who is the played by Dana Ashbrook, a classically good-looking high school quarterback who's also uh, a coke dealer on the side. Yeah. Um, you know, you've also got sort of the, uh, parallels between, uh, special agent Dale Cooper, who is the, the lead sort of protagonist of the series.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Dave just gave us all a Dale Cooper thumbs up.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's, he's so, so goofy yet also, uh, very serious. And his sort of, uh, mirror character is Sheriff Harry S. Truman, who, Love him of Slapshot fame, played by Michael Aunt Keane, mm-hmm. uh a strong Canadian. So I thought that I would throw that out there as as bait for you guys to <laughs> to help sort of push sure. you in my direction. You don't need to pander, also from really.
3: make, from making love with uh, <laughs> from making love with Harry Hamlin, <laughs> with Harry Hamlin, yeah.
4: Um and yeah, so just sort of the way that the show explores these um, interpersonal relationships and and sort of the mirrors is is really sort of unique and and a fantastic sort of way to do it. Um. Sort of another thing that was really interesting and, and fantastic about this particular episode was there's, there's a scene where uh, Special Agent Cooper gathers with the police of the town uh, and mentions uh, his allegiance to Tibet. And I believe we have a, I believe we have a clip Indeed, of that we do.
0: By way of explaining what we're about to do, I am first going to tell you a little bit about the country called Tibet. An extremely spiritual country. For centuries, the leader of Tibet has been known as the Dalai Lama. In 1950, Communist China invaded Tibet. And while leaving the Dalai Lama nominally in charge, they in fact seized control of the entire country. In 1959, after a Tibetan uprising against the Chinese, the Dalai Lama was forced to flee to India for his life and has lived in exile ever since. Following a dream I had three years ago, I have become deeply moved by the plight of the Tibetan people and filled with a desire to help them. I also awoke from the same dream, realizing that I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand with the deepest level of intuition. Sheriff, Deputy Hawk, if you will please assist me, I will now demonstrate.
4: So at this point, Cooper starts throwing rocks at a <laughs> bottle that are yeah. uh, something like ninety feet away, or maybe eighty-eight point three. That's sheriff reads off suspects. Yes. Yeah. on the blackboard. Um, and, and the reason why this is, I think, such a, a great episode and an important or a great scene within this episode, and really sort of important. Is if you if you had missed the first couple episodes of the series, it sort of sets up who all the potential suspects are in the town, yep. and that sort of helps for people who you know. I think one of the big things you guys always talk about in the canon is does this episode sort yeah. of stand alone on yes. it on its own? Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: and by setting studying-
4: it in its time. You couldn't catch up on the internet
2: or anything Yes, like right, that.
3: absolutely. You, know, like you yeah.
4: had to know somebody with a videotape or you just had to figure it out. You should yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it served a, a real sort of functional purpose within the show and also was really sort of strange and unique that, you know, Lynch worked all of his sort of uh, beliefs about Buddhism uh, and spirituality and, and the power of dreams into the show in a way that is sort of lyrical in a way that most other television shows, even to this day, uh, really don't really deal with things on that sort of a level. Yeah. Um, and also uh, on that front um, one of the great th- things about this show is is sort of the way that it it deals with grief was another really sort of powerful episode later on uh, in this episode uh, Leland Palmer who is the father of Laura uh, has a really weird and tragically sad scene uh, where he picks up a picture of his daughter uh, and begins slow dancing with it uh, while wailing and bawling um, but it's also a, such a great scene because it's, it's weirdly set off by the score that's chosen. Uh, Lynch scores that scene with uh, a clip of Transylvania, mm, six, six five five hundred thousand. six right. 5,000, yeah. which is uh, so just so weird and such a, a great choice for that particular scene. And the way that that sort of builds together, but you know, the way that Leland Palmer in this episode and, and his wife, uh, Sarah Palmer, who's played by the excellent Grace Sabritsky, uh, deal with grief really sort of puts all the stuff that goes on the killing right now sort of to shame Mm -hmm. Um, and then sort of I guess sort of skipping along really the the key scene of this film is or of this particular episode of Twin Peaks is uh, the dream sequence, which occurs at the very, very end of the show and is, you know, frankly, one of the most iconic scenes in in television history, so much so that it was parodied on both Saturday Night Live as well as The Simpsons uh, years and years (laughs) later, where uh, Lisa, I believe in the Who Shot Mr. Burns episode, uh, references that. So um, if we want to jump into uh, the Dance of the Dream Man clip, well, hold on real quick, I'll just set up sort of what happens. Uh, Cooper goes to sleep while he's trying, after he's used his deductive reasoning technique to throw rocks at bottles some 90 feet As away. Yeah. As, it, that's just the way the police, sub- all police guys work. <laughs> it's police stuff. Classic procedural stuff. (laughs) That's how we met Tara. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Cooper falls asleep and uh, wakes up in a place that's called the Black Lodge. Cooper is inexplicably aged. He looks like he's about 70 years old. In the show, he's probably in his uh, early 30s, I would guess, is sort of his character's age. Although, as an actor, he may have been a little bit younger. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he's strangely aged, and a couple of weird things happen to him uh, in this dream. There is... Uh, a short, tiny man who is referred to as the man from another place uh, who dances around in a really sort of strange way and talks in this weird, sort of uh, backwardy voice. And in this scene, he's also accompanied by uh, what looks to be the spinning image of, of Laura Palmer herself. And uh, if we could play the Dance of the Dream Man clip. You betcha.
6: I've got good news. I've got good news. That gum you like is going to
3: come back in style. That gum you like is going to come back in style.
4: Thank you for the subtitles. (laughs) (laughs)
3: She's my cousin. She's my cousin. But doesn't she
6: work? Almost exactly
3: wash Laura Palmer. I think you can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't she look exact? Almost exactly yeah, like Laura Palmer. Palmer. Are you Laura Palmer?
1: I feel, quite, I
3: I feel like I know her.
1: my arms bend,
3: but sometimes my arms bend back. She's filled with secrets. She's filled with secrets.
4: Uh, so, yeah, obviously, <laughs> that is one of the weirdest momies, moments ever to happen uh, on in television history, I sort of feel like, and really sort of captured the uh, attention of, of a nation. And still, to this day, some 21 years later, it's supremely weird and very unsettling, uh, not for the least of which reasons are that... Uh, at the conclusion of this clip, there's a real uh, erotic connection between Special Agent Cooper and this vision of Laura Palmer, or is it Laura Palmer? Uh, She walks up and and kisses him square on the mouth, and he is not uh, freaked out by it. He's clearly enjoying it. And so just sort of the whole idea that, you know, this, uh, this FBI agent who should be sort of uptight and prim and proper has a real sexual attraction to a dead girl is a really sort of deep and weird thing. Uh, again, particularly I keep saying for network television, but it is sort of true for network television. And so, um, just sort of in closing, I guess, uh, again, this is one of sort of, I think the most iconic episodes of this long series, which, uh, I certainly acknowledged, uh, fell off a cliff creatively in the second season uh but this particular episode i think really sort of stands alone for for some really sort of iconic sequences uh the way that they deal with uh adult matters in a way that some cable television shows even now in 2011 find really sort of a hard time dealing with and uh i guess that's uh that's sort of my case
5: yeah um i have to uh make a little bit of an embarrassing confession i've First, I watched the first season uh, early, in my early years in college when it was first uh, on DVD, and I didn't make the soap opera connection uh, in the style of it. I knew that there was the show within the show, but uh, watching it now, that's so clear. That sort of it's like a, it's it gives the show like a stylistic guiding principle that makes it sort of all come together a little even better for me. Um, I think the whole thing for me is in that last scene in that dream sequence. It's like you said, it's television history. It's endured still to this day everybody talks about it it is iconic and uh for a director who doesn't uh do horror movies specifically? David Lynch has given me some of the <laughs> scariest oh, single images I've ever seen: the Dumpster Guy in Mulholland Drive, yes. Laura Dern's face in Inland Empire, and then uh, that vid- that shot of Bob crouching at the end of the bed that Grace Zabriskie sees and freaks so out, that and ants
2: so- crawling across an ear. And my- Cooper sees yes. it,
5: yeah. And Cooper sees it in his dream before he goes into the room. He sees the guy talking about Bob, and then he sees Bob talking, and it's so fucking scary, and like it stuck with me to this day. So it's a this episode is television history. For
3: a second, I was like, "Why this episode among all others?"
5: And then it got to that point. I was like, "Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> oh, this one." Yeah.
3: Um. So I watched all of Twin Peaks when I was in high school when it was on. Yeah. Um. I was in the exact right target demo, and and I coming back to it. I I don't think I've watched it since then. And I was sort of like. Well, oh, I don't know if I'm going to if it will yeah. still have that effect on me. And like five minutes into, because we rewatched the first two episodes, and subsequently after watching this one, watched the next one last night too. Yeah, um, I was like, it, it was like it slammed me right back into what I loved about it, and I was really, you know, since then I've been so against quirky shows. Yeah. Hate, hated Wonderfalls hated Pushing Daisies and I was worried like is this going to be Quirk Overload and I you know because I'm a different person now Right? <laughs> <Like, laughs> will it still work on me and it God it totally did so great I think
2: this show is mitigated in ways that those shows weren't I mean the Quirk yeah. kind of comes um, it, its frequency is different and mm-hmm. I think the level is different
3: and you, you said the tone sort of varies it's not yeah. it's not just I think that's, that's why I'll it works. Quirk all the
2: time Tweet yeah, exactly. Tweet. exactly it's not tweet exactly yeah yeah
3: um, and there's so many moving moments in the, in the whole series, and you know, I, even just to what we've watched to this point, like Harry, Harry in the in the pilot, tell Harry I didn't yes. cry. Or I mean, not Harry, the other guy, Andy. Andy, tell Harry I didn't cry. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> and my my, and now I know I'm an older lady because I'm not interested <laughs> in Bobby anymore, and I'm all about Harry S. Truman. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, this episode we didn't we we sort of glossed over it, but uh, it's also the introduction of Miguel Ferrer as yeah. uh, as.
2: I love this character. Albert. 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 Yeah, he's Especially the FBI, as a sort of forensics expert. we yes. got a clip. I want to play the clip yeah. about his sort of first meeting with the town folks. Mm-hmm.
0: And- Harry, Albert and his team are cream of the crop. Albert's a forensics genius. they're working for you, I wouldn't expect anything less. But i got to warn you. Albert's lacking in some of the social niceties. Albert's <laughs> <hope he's> perfect. <laughs> not the truth. What the hell kind of a two-bit operation they're running out of this treehouse, Cooper? <laughs> Albert, this is Sheriff Truman. I have seen some slipshod backwater bergs, but this place takes the cake. <laughs> what are you waiting for, Christmas? We've got work to do, damn it. They are putting this girl on the ground tomorrow, and we've wasted half the day traveling out here to the middle of nowhere. Well, Albert, I suggest you and your team should get started. I'll have one of my men escort you over to the morgue. That'd be fine. Results from the local pathologist's report? welcome to amateur
3: hour <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that's so great about it about albert as a character is that Agent Cooper is so nice to everyone, and yet he is delighted by Albert. Yes, <laughs> his brusqueness. I just, I love the interplay between them, and and so finally, the dream obviously is. It, it definitely yeah. Well, is. TV yeah, and history. that's
4: that's another great thing I think about this this particular episode is it does veer wildly in tone from. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is like clearly a comic relief sort of moment. Mm-hmm. It's very soapy and sappy at times. It's also scary and weird. But, yeah. but it never seems. But out it of all. Place. It, yeah, it yes. all flows together yeah, in such cool. a such a nice. And
5: one. I have to say, Kyle McLaughlin's performance, like you forget. The degree of commitment to that role yep. to make that work is astounding. Mm-hmm. He's never winking once. It's no. all
3: super right. straightforward. Yes. He
5: is just completely who that guy is, and it makes a huge difference. Yep. Yeah.
3: Um, and the, just, just the final thing I wanted to say about the dream is that I've, you know, it's it's kind of it's it's a t- it's a it's a pop culture. Device that can go either way, especially in a TV show, and and, and you know, a good dream sequence is hard to achieve. Yeah. Everyone talks about that Buffy episode with all where everyone is dreaming, right? And, you yeah, know, I, that is maybe not as effective from my perspective. Oh, I love that one, but, but yeah, this this I think is uh, it. It really captures what it is like to dream, yeah. to have a creepy dream, yes. and to and to you know be able to recognize the parts of it that came from your real life, yeah, and and try to guess where the rest came from, yeah. and um, I think it really the this the dream sequence in this episode more than any other up to this point kind of established what the show is about
1: yeah
2: i really like the, the the little part where he wakes up from the dream and he calls and his the sheriff his, his hair, his hair, <laughs> hair, <laughs> his his hair, hair slipping off little moments like that but i also like the line um you know he's talking to the sheriff and you can tell you know he said like, yes in fact i know who killed lord palmer and yes it can wait until tomorrow." <laughs> 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 that's
1: yeah. the end of the episode <laughs>
2: yeah um so uh, we talked about this uh, a couple of uh, episodes ago, but my first Twin Peaks uh, experience was uh, a good friend of mine. We worked at the uh, college newspaper together, and uh, Tuesday was both sort of deadline night and cheap movie night. We always got her work done ahead of time. So she really, really, really was into Twin Peaks and wanted to go see Fire Walk with me, the Twin Peaks movie. And me <laughs> being a good friend said, sure, why not? Only cost two bucks. Let's do it. Just so confused, hated it. Just like, I don't know what you people are smoking with this Twin Peaks stuff. I hadn't watched it till then. So Twin Peaks, the movie for its experience. Done with Twin Peaks. Yes. Uh, fast forward to a couple days ago. <laughs> uh, Mark says, okay, I'm picking the Twin Peaks. Oh, fucked. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, watched it. Fell in love like in the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. The tone is so different from the movie. Yeah. From what I remember of the movie anyways. Uh, I had no idea like Joe... Uh, had no idea of the soapy aspects of this, and that was sort of like the anchor Mm -hmm. for the feel and the kind of the, um, you know, the ups and downs of of, of the plot, you know, and kind of the, even the relationships between people had this really soapy feel to it. Yeah. And then, again, the music, how it sort of adds a layer on top of that soapiness and sort of both at at times amps it up, but also at other times mitigates Mm -hmm. it when it needs to. Yeah. And I think they did that just perfect. Yeah. Um, And... I just like Dale Cooper is like one of my favorite TV characters in all time. Like the thumb, the thumbs up thing. <laughs> wow!
1: After four episodes, <laughs> I know.
2: Well, here's the thing: is I, 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 like I know the the killer because I saw the movie, but yes. I don't feel like I'm getting anything less out of the yeah. show. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of well, it's not of a it mystery driving a series. Yes. See X Files, see yep. Lost, mm-hmm. see all that. Like I don't yeah. like that sort of. Uh, McGuffin, you know, what I mean right. like I think it's yes. almost like that in these. Like it's it's the journey, it's not, you know, like yeah. often. Um and you know, I New Twin Peaks was complex and had enough characters that we needed to watch, I needed to watch the episodes leading up to this. And yeah, like I said, it was into the pilot and even the pilot, you know, has a you know, the first episode of the series true is even, you know, better done than the pilot but the pilot's really good really got into in the pilot and the second one and then this episode and i just absolutely fell in love it's great and then we've watched we've watched we're now i'm watching the whole first season for the first time i'm sorry i just took the next two
4: weeks of your life away
3: (laughs) dave guess what i have good news for you billy zane is in it too
4: (laughs) no shit really yes (laughs) david David dacomney plays a transvestite he sure does really yes awesome uh, <laughs> so I guess this is
2: my you know mea culpa I, I you know like I'll blame my I blame my friend Tammy uh, <laughs> for not having watched it until this time but now I'm like I'm totally in the bag I get it mm-hmm. um, I wish I watched it a lot sooner but uh, thank you Mark I think this is great and absolutely an upvote from me
3: yeah me too yes yes, yes. all right yay <laughs>
2: Okay, Twin Peaks, episode two or three, depending on where you look, of season one, <laughs> Zen, or the skill to catch a killer. You are hereby inducted into the Extra Hot Great Cannon.
0: Americans love a winner <laughs> and will not tolerate a loser.
2: All right, it's time for winners and losers of the week. But first, you may notice that we don't have the yep and nope in there anymore. That's because we're getting a spin-off. Segment next week Stay tuned for that
3: Okay winner of the week Is uh 16 and pregnant And here is why Uh Slate reported this week That um People who watch Shows like 16 and pregnant And teen mom actually have their minds changed with regard to their feelings about abortion rights. And it tends to make them more liberal and more progressive and understand not everybody should have babies, particularly the people on 16 and Pregnant. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to those people for being able to have their minds changed. Yeah. And um, it's also good news for me because I've started watching 16 and Pregnant, and this makes me feel less bad about it.
5: There you go. <laughs> um, you're going to have to bear with me here for a second. Uh, loser of the Week is uh, Tracy Morgan. What? Why? Ob- what? Obviously. Obviously. Um, for his charmingly horrific performance in Nashville last week where he, uh, among other things, ranted that being gay is a choice uh, because who would know better than Tracy Morgan? Sure. Um, And that bullying wouldn't be a problem if gay kids would stop being such pussies and allow themselves to be bullied. Um, The great thing about this is that uh, becoming a news story is that we found out that he's been doing this as far back as Carnegie Hall in 2009, saying shit like this, uh, because... The answer, clearly, to the question, how do you get to Carnegie Hall, is by stabbing my faggot son in the chest. Sure. And also practice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, and what the comedy community, such as it is, they're doing their thing where they rally around one of their own who says something terrible, and to the degree that I don't think Tracy should be fired from Third Rock, because I don't, uh, I guess I agree with them, question mark, but...
3: I, I, th- not that many people have been rallying around him. Well... Chris, yeah. Rock back Chris, Rock. Chris Rock backed down. Chris Rock backed down. She was today. credit.
5: And, um, Wanda Sykes, too, I think?
3: Going, he, no, she's, she was against oh. him. Yeah. She was not. She I was mean, not I, I do
5: to a degree feel like in America you have the right to believe disgusting things and then holler at people about them, but I'm not sure if I'm going to have the same lighthearted time watching Tracy Jordan hilariously eat batteries or get locked in the zoo or whatever the fuck he does next year on 30 Rock. <laughs> uh, and if other people who feel the same <laughs> way decide to choose to stop watching 30 Rock for that reason, <laughs> I choose to support them in that decision.
2: <laughs> Done. See <laughs> what time it is guys?
1: Yeah, it's what? It's game time. It's game time. Oh crap. <laughs>
2: All right, quick correction from last uh, week: Uh, the season standings are four for Joe, four for Tara. We said five, five, and one for the guests. This week, team guest, team Team guest, Uh, this week we are playing (laughs) the amazing races. I will give you the name of an alien race from pop culture. You tell me the property it is from. Two points for the right answer right off the bat. You can ask for a clue after which the correct answer is worth one point. We'll take turns. There is no stealing. You pick a number between 1 and 30, and we're going to start with Mark. Special note: five hints or audio hints?
3: Oh, okay. interesting.
4: Okay, so Mark, you get to choose a number between 1 and 30. Well, as someone who's always wanted to play game time, I got to go with
1: 19.
2: <laughs> All right, I had to press the letter Q to, for that one, and our first aliens are the Q. What property are the Q from? The Q. Remember you can ask for a hint before you I answer. need a hint. Your hint is continuum. Q the winged serpent? Mm. That's a good guess though, and wow, I got a good story about that. That was one of the first <laughs> uh, movies my dad rented in the era of before we had a VCR, but yes. he rent the VCR yeah. with a package of ten movies mm-hmm. for the weekend thing. One of the movies he decided on was Q. I think because there was a topless lady got eaten by a dragon, but I can't <laughs> confirm that. Um so yeah. Sorry, it is Star Trek. Oh. yes, Trek.
3: Um, number seventeen, the Spread Eagle.
2: Uh, what is that a reference to? <laughs> Chicago.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> number seventeen, shadows. Shadows. Uh hint. Your hint is five.
1: Fifth Your hint element is
2: five. Pardon me. Fifth element. Shit. And I just realized we're not looking. For. There we go. This is something that was Babylon. Babylon. Wow. 5. 5. Oh. okay, Joe. Um, two. Number two,
5: Cyclos. The Cyclos. Cyclos with a PS? PSY. Okay. Can you get the origin of the word?
1: I was just gonna say, I
5: don't know why I thought that would make a difference. Um, clue, please.
2: Man animal. Animal? Oh, <laughs>
3: Battlefield Earth. Battlefield oh. Earth.
5: Man, Animal needs leverage. Uh, <laughs> this is the only time I've ever regretted not seeing that movie. <laughs> All,
3: right.
2: Uh, All right. Number 10. Number 10. The Scrolls. The Scrolls.
4: The Dark Crystal? Mm. Incorrect. Oh, that the
2: they are from Marvel Comics, The Scrolls. Hmm. All right. There's the Shapeshifters and. I think they're going to be in the Avengers or something. 29. Number 29. Here we go. The Yip Yips. Sesame Street. Correct.
3: Yip, yip,
0: yip, 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 I never knew they were called the Yip
2: All right, Joe. 21. Number 21. Melmachians. Elf. Correct for two points. Uh, 14 Number 14 Here's an easy one Autobots Autobots Transformers from... Nice They are from the Transformers the What number was that? Sorry 14 Sorry. Um,
3: 24
2: Minox Minox
3: Oh I know this Why I, do I know this? I
2: think you think you know it But you're confusing it with something else But well, that's just the okay, guess Okay
3: I'll take a hint
2: Power cables I don't know. You don't know. That was from The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. You were thinking of the Time Machine, probably. No. No? With the, the, the no, Morlocks. No, those are like Morlocks. Yeah, okay. no, I thought I wasn't. maybe you were confusing. All
3: I'm right. That's dumb.
2: Uh, let's get a little score break action in here. Joe. Two. 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 Whoa. Whoa. Nice. All right, here we go. Next one, please.
5: 27. Number 27. Your alien race is the Remulax. Oh. Remulax. This sounds very familiar to me. Can I need a clue there? Yeah. Your clue is France. Oh, uh, the Coneheads.
2: <laughs> Correct for one point. Mark. Uh, 22. Number 22. Orkins. Orkins. Hint. Boulder. Mork and Mindy. Nice.
3: Correct for nice. one point. Um.
2: One. Number one. Bogons Bogons. Remember for Hint. Don't panic.
3: Oh, um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh,
2: Alright.
5: Wow, nice one. Alright, um, Joe. Three. Number three. Drac. Drac. Also sounds familiar. Hint? Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry.
2: Futurama. Mm. Anybody? Enemy mine. Enemy mine. Oh. oh, never would
3: have gotten that in a yeah. thousand years. Dennis it's a
2: tough Quaid. One, they're not Lee's all Scotty Jr. Folks. <laughs> no. they're not uh,
1: good.
2: Number 30, please. Number 30. Zatoxians. <laughs> Zatoxians. I'm going to need a hint for that one. Dumdums. Dumdums. Pass. <laughs> Flintstones? Flintstones is yeah. correct. Uh, good.
3: Um, 12.
2: Number 12. Here's an easy one the Navi.
3: Oh, Avatar.
5: Tara, thank Avatar.
3: <laughs> I would have known that even if I hadn't <laughs> seen that movie. Right,
2: that question is easier. <laughs>
3: that question needs to stop looking. Uh,
2: twenty-three. Number twenty-three, Antarians. Hint, New Mexico.
5: Roswell. Correct Ooh, for nice. one point. All
2: right, score break, please, Joe. Four. Mark. Three. Tara. Five. Oh, still a close game. All right, next one. Uh, thirteen, please. Number thirteen. Uh, the Rylans. Rylans. Rylans.
4: i I'm going to go with a hint, please. Uh, okay, your hint is Centauri. <laughs> this is the, the last starfighter?
3: Whoa, oh, no hey. um, I'm impressed.
4: That
2: was really cool.
3: <laughs> cool. Nine.
2: Number nine. The fix Hint. Tandy.
3: Short-circuit.
2: Mm, Anybody else? Cocoon. Mm. Not Batteries included. not included. Oh, that was
3: was the other one. Yeah.
2: No. <laughs> All right, Joe. 15. Uh, Number 15,
5: Leviathans. Oh, Farscape. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> oh. I had to edit those recaps. <laughs> Whoa.
2: <laughs> All right, Mark. Uh, I'll go with 11, please. Number 11. Uh, uh, oh, lost it. Uh, Decapodians. Hint, please. John. <laughs> Not a helpful hint.
3: <laughs> nope. nope.
2: Pass. Sorry, no, Futurama. Futurama. Uh, Zoeyberg. Zoe oh, Zoe Blind um, tw- spot. 28. Number 28. Moggs. Hint. Barf. I
3: don't know. Donuts. Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Oh.
2: That's John Candy's character. Oh, okay. He's the Chewbacca. Gotcha.
5: He's half man, half dog. He's yeah. a Mog. Roger. <laughs> um, uh, five.
2: Number five. Mangalores.
5: Oh, familiar. Hint. Love. <laughs> love. Oh. Um. Love.
1: All right.
2: <laughs> With the hints. Love's just an abstract concept. It can't break down stuff. <laughs> nope, wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Tara. I don't know. Tara, most hated your most hated movie ever.
3: Oh, Fifth Element Fifth now. Element. Oh, oh, now it, it is? Uh, Fifth uh, Element.
1: Okay. Yeah,
2: okay. Uh, 16 please. Number 16, The Elder Gods. What property? Jeez
4: Louise. Uh
2: hint please. Cthulhu.
4: I have no idea. Sci-fi is total blind spot. Okay. Mm. HP Lovecraft Yeah, Lovecraft
5: stuff, uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um 26.
4: Number 26.
2: Here's an easy one: the visitors. Maybe not an easy one. <laughs> the visitors.
3: Hint.
2: What was that? Hint. Lizards.
3: Oh, V. Correct for one
2: point. Okay, I think it's time for a score break. Joe. Six. Mark. Four. Six. Oh, six, six, and four. Keeping it Oops. close. Oops. All right. You're holding your
3: own for this being a blind uh, spot. Uh, you. uh Four.
2: Number four. Z- Xenomorphs. Um,
0: ah,
2: that's for a hint. hint.
1: One. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game <laughs> over.
5: Oh, uh, uh, Alien. Correct. Yeah.
2: For one. Aliens. The Alien series. Yeah. Uh, twenty. Number twenty. Snarves.
4: <laughs> snarves. Uh, hint, please.
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Thundercats. Uh, <laughs> nice. Correct
4: for um, one point.
2: Number 25, Rijilians.
3: Hint.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, 73-year-old candidate, Bob Dole. (laughs) Abortions for all. (laughs) Very well. No abortions for anyone. (laughs) Hmm. Abortions for some. Miniature American flags for others
2: <laughs> The Simpsons Correct for one point Okay, Um, are we nearing the end?
3: We have one, two, three, four two, Still left. okay Four left Okay
2: yeah. I'll take six Number six, and we'll go into the score break in the last stretch Number six is Andorians Hint Blue Blue, Blue. Yep Ew, Andorians.
5: Oh, I'm going to yell at myself when I don't get this. What? Mm. Star Trek.
2: That's what I thought. They're the guys with the antennas on oh, the okay. Uh. okay. Three questions left. Let's get a score break, see where we are. Everybody's got one question left. I have seven. Seven? I've got five. Five? I have seven, too. Oh, my goodness.
5: <gasps> oh, this is tense.
2: This is tense. <laughs> okay. All right. Your last number is? I'm arc. going with lucky number seven. Yes. Lucky number seven. A good one, I think. Your alien race is the Time Lords. <laughs> the Time Lords. Oh, man. Uh, oh. I need a hint, sadly. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh.
4: Police Box. I don't know that one oh, either. No. Oh,
2: no. Totally fail. Total <laughs> fail. Game time fail. Doctor Who. Doctor Who. All oh, right. right. Um, can we get your email address so people can... <laughs>
3: oh, yeah. Um, people will
5: tell you a lot about Doctor Who. Unsolicited. Oh, brother.
3: <laughs> All right. Um, 18.
2: Okay. 18... Pull ahead. Your alien race is the Kenemit. Hint? Your hint is.
0: Don't get on that ship!
3: The rest of the book to serve men it's it, It's a cookbook! I just referenced this last night. The Twilight Zone.
2: Correct nice. for one point. Okay, here we are at the last question of the game. Joe can win with two points, tie with one point, or blow it. I <laughs> <know I have. laughs> Okay, now, nope. what's the last number? It's number eight. Number eight. Oh, Joe, get ready to be happy. God. Your aliens
5: are the prawns. The prawns? Prawns. Oh, my goodness. Is this also Futurama?
1: Oh, oh
3: yeah. Any guesses off the bat? Mm. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it's District 9. Oh, oh. District 9 you for that guess. What was
5: the hint by the what would the hint have been?
2: The hint would have been nine lives because they love cat
5: food. <laughs> I still might not have gotten that.
3: Well done Tara. Nicely
5: done.
4: Nicely
3: done
5: Tara. Well done Tara.
3: That's some bad picking on my part. <laughs>
1: Tara!
2: Tara. Alright guys that's it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We looked past the lens flare into what made Super 8 tick <laughs> and talked about the elite club of the un-Hollywood un-Hollywood the Hollywood <laughs> Unhateables. Kim took us through the most awesome thing on TV last week we discovered that Dave will hate <laughs> real steel <In> Mark's <laughs> nomination Twin Peaks Zen or the skill to catch a killer was definitely inducted into the canon we crowned Yay. winners and losers of the week and Tara was a winner of this week's Game Time bringing the seasons two, five for Tara four for Joe yes. one for the guests yes. leave us comments on the site or Facebook or Twitter send us your canon submissions Send us your game time ideas or send us whatever. Just send it to us to find out how to do all that. Go to extrahotgreat.com. Remember,
3: we're listening. Ah.
2: (laughs) I am David T. Cole on behalf of Tara Ariano, Yes. Joe Reed. Thank you. And Mark Graham. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We'll see you right here next week on Extra Hot Great.
0: Oh. Chief
1: freedom, L. E. clues. The better. You.
4: Huh? better.
3: You burns I'm
6: not following you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Burns,
6: it's you, huh? Look at Burns' suit.
0: Yeesh. Ha, ha, ha. I had an idea, Chief. Why don't we check out that suit Burns was wearing when he got shot? Did you have the same
4: backwards talking dream with the flaming cards?
0: I'll drive. <laughs> <laughs>